Hello and welcome to Zero Net 50. I'm Jennifer Deloney and with me is Joel Stronberg. Hi, Joel. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. So um, this is our Washington update, which we haven't done in a couple of weeks, so I'm glad we're getting back to it. But before we get there, I want to touch down close to home in this episode with a look at what's happening at the state level with Vermont's climate policy and its environmental economy. Um, you know, the impression that people get of Vermont, you know, the view looking in is that it's a very progressive place. And, you know, in many ways that's true, but the state's citizens are, are actually locked in a struggle between those who would regulate for the good of society and those who want to keep a free market and economy. And in essence, it's no different than the political situation across the country. So while we may have a reputation for being progressive, it's, it's actually not really the, the reality here. Um, the climate movement is fully under the influence of those circumstances in Vermont. And like on the national stage, Vermonters are going to make a choice on their ballots in 2020 that's going to significantly affect the health of Vermont's environment. It's it's not quite the, uh, you know, shall I say, do or die as the federal level, but it's still fairly significant. Um, Vermont currently has a Republican governor, Phil Scott, who won a second term in 2018. And his biggest climate legacy at this point is that he created a climate committee and then completely ignored its recommendations, uh, essentially making no significant forward movement on the environment in his time so far in office. So those are those are the things his detractors say about him. But um, he hasn't announced plans to run for governor yet in 2020, and he likely isn't going to say anything uh, on that front until the next legislative session ends. But there is much anticipation already for whoever will be on the ballot for the Democrats um, so far, former Education Secretary Rebecca Holcomb has already announced her bid for the governor's seat on the Democrat side, and the current Attorney General, T.J. Donovan, as well as the current Lieutenant Governor, David Zuckerman, right now are polling Vermonters to see if either of them could build a strong enough base to take on the Republicans who have succeeded over the last two elections in that gubernatorial race. Um, but it's Zuckerman, who is a progressive, that I want to talk about because his track record is strong on environmental policies that are results-oriented for the environment rather than the economy, you know, in that, in that ongoing struggle. Um, my feeling is that he may go for the governor's seat unless the poll returns a really disappointing result. And that, frankly, would be a big surprise to me. Um, Zuckerman is actually the first progressive to take a statewide office in Vermont, which is really amazing. He was first elected as lieutenant governor in 2016 and then was reelected. Uh, so he's had two two times around and he's he's been doing a lot of uh, very forward looking work for the environment. Um, as a member of the Vermont Progressive Party, he represents what I think is an important shift in this two-party dynamic that dominates the 
U.S. political system. Um, and in his latest newsletter, he made an interesting and sort of oddly timed, I think, stance on a piece of legislation that is strong on creating accountability in Vermont environmental policies. Um, that's called the Global Warming Solutions Act. It's designed to step Vermont up to other Northeast states that have passed similar acts. So, for example, we've seen the Global Warming Solutions Act in Massachusetts put U.S. offshore wind power finally into the global offshore wind community. So that was as a result of pretty you know, straightforward legislation that demanded action, and then they have turned that into approving offshore wind, basically, for the state. Um, the foundation of the, the Vermont version of the act is to turn state environmental goals that are already on the books as goals into requirements. And it sets a series of reviews and updates to ensure that binding targets are being met. And it sets grounds for enforcement, which is you know, a critical aspect of that. Um, ultimately, the target for Vermont would, um, would be net zero climate pollution by 2050, which is you know, sort of echoing what goes on with the Paris Agreement. Um, the bill was introduced in 2019 and didn't make it out of committee. You know, and that Zuckerman is pushing for it now speaks, I think, to his aspirations. The act is a strong message to Vermont that it needs to do more. And Zuckerman says he's been listening to the young people of the state about their fears about an unhealthy environment in their future. And bringing the Global Warming Solutions Act to law you know, would be answering their fears, but there's no question it would be a really big uphill climb in Vermont. Um, the conservative messaging in the state goes for the extreme, just like it does at the national level, to ensure that the base can cling to their ideals. They call climate policies like carbon taxes unpopular and wacky. And when speaking of the act, you know, even though the act never mentions carbon taxes, so it's the perfect game to sway by fear. So there's there's no end of that that they have to combat. But, you know, in terms of Zuckerman and, and going for the governor's seat, his popularity is clear, and progressive party foundations are already made in the state. So whether he steps up and whether those foundations are strong enough and whether the Global Warming Solutions Act can make it out of committee, where it surely will land in the 2020 legislative session, uh, are all things that we're going to have to watch in Vermont, along with the strange and parallelist things we'll be watching at the federal uh, level next year. So you know, I think that's a, a good place for us to turn our attention to what's going on in Washington. So it's all on you, Joel. Oh, thanks, Jennifer. <laughs> a couple of things, though. I, I'm, I'm absolutely shocked that Vermont isn't a, a, a state of all Bernie Sanders. So, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> thank you for blowing that myth for me. Uh, uh, the other thing is, and and I, I apologize for not knowing more about this. Is the legislature Democratic or Republican or split? Uh, oh, it's Democratic. So, um, yeah. So, so that's it's also echoing what happens at the federal level. So it's a lot of, uh, w this is a great idea, and then the governor says, mm, no, thank you. Right. It's yeah. it, and and you're right. I mean, it it 
it speaks to split governments everywhere, um, yeah. certainly at the federal level as well. Um, things in Washington, obviously everything is under the shadow of the impeachment inquiry. Um, mm -hmm. But notwithstanding that, there are still things going on. Um, in the Senate, there, there are two major actions going on in the Senate. One is um, McConnell and Senator Grassley uh, from Iowa um, are hell-bent on pushing through all the judicial nominations that Trump has made already this year um, and are anticipating more next year. Uh, there, I think the, the recent number was there have been 70 confirmations of federal judges um, by the Trump administration and the Senate. And I think that people should not underestimate the impact that, that this is going to have. Um, I will admit that I, I do believe that some of the judge, judge nominations are just, they're awful because they're, they're either through people that have um, exhibited either racism or anti-religious um, uh, bias or anti-LBGT uh, um, a bias in, in that regard. But there are others that are just plain conservative. Um, and they're going to take a much different view of, of, the, of environmental law cases um, than the current, probably more liberal, uh, judicial system. And this is going to be something where the judiciary, although now it's probably the main venue in which anything constructive um, gets done as far as the environment is concerned, or stops anything destructive um, to the environment because of rollback of regulations, that's going to change over the years. And, and these are lifetime appointments. So I mean, what's going to happen with the electoral offices of president and in Congress may in fact end up being counter um, to the judicial system. And so sometime in the future, maybe 10 years, uh, we may see a judicial uh, judiciary um, that in fact begins to limit um, more aggressive climate um, uh, legislation. And, and the same thing goes with, with health and, and healthcare and, and what have you. Um, this is it's also an area where the Democrats actually have nothing to say about it. The, the way the rules of the Senate are constructed um, as long as the Republicans have 51 votes um, or even 50 votes and the vice president, then their nomination is going to get through. Um, obviously, the, the Republicans are going to be hitting this theme very hard in 2020, that, that the election of uh, Trump and um, Republican members of the House and of the Senate in particular, um, no matter what you think of Trump, think about um, the kind of nominees that he's put in to court uh, judgeships um, and to encourage Republicans to vote if for no other reason for that. And that's going to have a, it's going to be a powerful message actually to conservative Republicans, whether they're conservatives or what I call Trumplicans and the, the ones that have just kind of given over to, to whatever Trump says goes, um, mm -hmm. wh whether, whether it's out of fear or actual um, acceptance of what he's doing doesn't really make any difference. That's the way they vote. Um, so the Senate is, is very hell-bent on getting these judgeships through, or at least the Senate leadership is. The other thing they're talking about are appropriations. And um, they, the Senate actually kicked out um, a large appropriations bill um, that had to do with ju the Justice Department, EPA, Interior. Um, it had bipartisan support. Uh, there's bipartisan support for uh, the energy appropriations as well. Now, it doesn't go as far as 
as we would perhaps like to see it go is, is from a, uh, a renewable energy uh, and environmental perspective. But it certainly it offsets just about every cut that the Trump administration has made on this. And it even adds dollars in research areas like in ARPA-E, um, which are very important to the, to the development of future technologies. So the Senate is dealing with those two issues. The, they're not going to really be dealing with the impeachment um, per se until after the House um, takes its vote as to whether or not it's actually impeaching the president. The way that goes is that the, the House, um, if, they, if they vote for impeachment, then the, all the action moves over to the Senate, and it's basically a trial um, uh, in which you know, both, both Trump and uh, the, the House are represented and um, it goes from there. Now, it's very unlikely uh, that he's actually going to be taken out of office. Um, but the fact of the matter is that it really is, it's, it's coloring everything that goes on here in Washington. Um, and it's going to have an impact, or at least a potential impact, um, on whether or not a continuing resolution gets out of the Congress um, by midnight on November 21st, um, which is when the current continuing resolution uh, uh, expires. And my feeling on this, and it has been for a few months, is that Trump has no reason to want to do anything in support of a bureaucracy that he actually thinks is against him. Um, and I don't know that, that he wouldn't, wouldn't try to, to show just how powerful he still was um, by not signing a continuing resolution and seeing a situation I think would be actually much worse the next year. Now, over the over the last uh, last year that, that lasted for the mm -hmm. longest in history, actually, although it was only a partial shutdown of the government. Now, I've taken this position for a while, but now what's happening is we're hearing Republican senators um, also can, uh, speaking softly still, but clearly the concern is there, and it's unclear as to as to who he would listen to should that happen. Um, I mean, he's not taking, he doesn't take advice well, to say the least. And um, a number of the senators like Graham and, and McConnell and Grassley um, have reason to be in opposition to him on a number of different issues, whether it's Syria or in Grassley's case, you know, Trump had, the Trump administration had been promising uh, corn farmers, the ethanol lobby, um, that they would, they would be no worse off than they have uh, than than the law allows for by not giving any more waivers out to small uh, refiners or if they do give waivers out to up the total volume so that there's there's some kind of uh, parity with with previous years well as it turns out those promises did not make it into the regulation and so what's happening is you're getting a lot of senate opposition um and which may also uh, kind of spill over into the appropriations level. And if Grassley gets irritated enough by the whole situation, he'll slow the judgeships down. He's done this in the past. Mm -hmm. On the House side, things are kind of more confusing, um, in a sense, because of the impeachment and how much oxygen it's actually taking out of the room. But there are a number of committee things that have been going on as well. Um, the, the select committee, for example, has been continuing its work. It's had actually 12 hearings this year um, on everything from, the, the most recent one was on um, sustainability and agriculture. Uh, but they've been doing it on buildings and, and on autos. And um, a number of other committees are also doing that as well. There was an oversight 
uh, committee, for example, on um, the CAFE standards that uh, have been so much in the news lately. Um, and the Democrats uh, in all of the committees, uh, uh, in the energy, the environment, the select committees, what have you, are, are promising actually that the Democrats will have some kind of uh, an omnibus bill um, put together by the end of the year. Um, now, nobody's talking about it actually being enacted, but I think that what's happening is that the Democrats want to be able to show that, that, that it's not just a couple of resolutions and um, that they really have been doing their work, um, if somewhat under the, the radar of people while impeachment goes on. Um, it's also, I think, beginning to spur the Republicans that so we may actually see um, some kind of presentation. I don't think it'll be complete legislation, but certainly more complete than the Green New Deal um, on the Democratic, uh, the, the Green New Deal resolutions. Um, now, this may actually cause some conflicts between progressives and moderates um, on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, I, I'm sure that they're going to come out with a, a program that emphasizes research, um, a continued research of technologies that could be uh, ready for the market. I find it somewhat surprising that Republicans still don't really admit to the fact that wind and solar are the largest contributors of new power um, in the country. But, but be that as it may, they're going to support research. They're going to support uh, carbon sequestration. I think that what runs through the Republican mind is that if you can sequester enough carbon, um, then we don't have to do anything different than we're, than we're doing now. From a scientific basis, that's it's an unfortunate kind of assumption, but, but I think that's where it is. And I think that it, in a sense, it'll be a step forward, um, just because people are beginning to talk about specifics and not just grand ideas. And, and I don't see that the debate between the progressives and the moderates and the conservatives is necessarily bad unless it results in such partisanship that nobody ends up talking to anybody else and nobody is willing to even acknowledge that that somebody else's proposal is is a good faith proposal and, and maybe we should talk about it and making it into into federal legislation. Um, so I think that a lot of most beyond the the getting the business of government, the appropriations, whether it's appropriations legislation or continuing resolution and the nominations of, of judges, um, the rest of what's going to happen substantively outside of the impeachment process is messaging. And so I think that that's what we want to be looking for over the next two months. But uh, it's hard to believe this is November already. But, right. but the fact of the matter is that as far as Congress is concerned, this isn't two months. This is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 20 legislative days. Um, so I mean, they're, they're out uh, partially this week. Uh, they won't be coming back till Thursday, at least the House won't. Um, and then Thanksgiving is, is going to come, come up. They'll be out for a week. They'll mm -hmm. come back for a week or two in December. Um, and then uh, Christmas and, you know, the, uh, the end of the year holidays, Christmas and and Kwanzaa um, and Hanukkah and everything else, people will go out for that for at least two weeks and probably not come back until a week after the new year. Um, so we're not really talking about a lot of substantive work being done. Now, obviously, if the impeachment moves that quickly, which I don't think it will, if you want to know mm -hmm. the truth, I think what, mm -hmm. what's happening is that enough witnesses are coming forward um, and there enough aren't coming forward that that's going to kind of stay in the stew for a while um, and that Pelosi in particular doesn't want to push this any faster than she thinks 
can bring the the country along with it, at least mm. with her, with the Democrats, and not try to get out too far ahead of them. She she was never overly thrilled about doing the the inquiry in the first place. Right. It was up to her. She would have held off for a while. But but be that as it may, I think that that we're seeing a lot of messaging for the Democrats, and then um, they'll come back after the beginning of the year, and we'll see where the impeachment takes us. Now, as far as the administration is concerned. A lot is happening, and I'm not sure that any of it is very good, actually. Um, the Trump, in, and I'm going to personalize it, Trump has this, this problem with California. Um, and as I've written before, California has something of a problem with Trump, but this fight has become personal. And so what's happening now is that the, the administration um, has moved to pull the California waiver on the CAFE standards on fuel efficiency. It's, it's already in the courts. Um, and we've got California and 23 states, the city of Los Angeles, cities of Los Angeles, New York, and uh, the District of Columbia, all saying that the waiver, that it's illegal for the, or improper for the White House to pull the waiver. You've got the White House, there are actually seven states, uh, I can't remember all of them, but Ohio and West Virginia and a couple of the other red states that are fossil fuel states are in it and 13 of the uh, automakers um, are also on, on Trump's side. This, this was something that was announced on Monday. Personally, I think that they were browbeaten into it. Um, he had threatened, uh, he's actually, I mean, he's, the Justice Department has already undertaken an investigation of California and the four companies that agreed with California. They, they reached their own kind of agreement that basically reflects with the Obama um, targets were um, with some additional ways of that the auto companies could could meet those standards. The the White House has ordered the Justice Department to do an antitrust investigation, and um, it's been very clear that they've been browbeating these other auto companies, daring them actually to get in, to to follow the uh, the lead of Ford, uh, Volkswagen, BMW of uh, America, and Ford Volkswagen. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the fourth. Um, mm -hmm. And General Motors and all the other major automakers, both the U.S. and, and, and uh, foreign, um, are now on the other side. And, and this is going to take a long time to decide. Um, it's also going to impact, there's been talk about um, states on the, on the East Coast actually kind of forming their own um, uh, cafe standards to cover their, their region. And it, it's something that would be, Close to the Reggie region, probably the states from from Maine, conceivably to Virginia, and mm -hmm. this is getting into what you were talking about before. And this is what's happening is that there's a there's a void being created at the federal level, and states are now thinking about filling it. Um, well, you know, it's going to set up conflicts between federal and state laws, and it's also going to change the complexion because now we're going to go into if we get enough different regional differences or enough state differences then it becomes an interference with the interstate commerce. Um, and so what we're going to see is another series of lawsuits that are different in kind, but um, may in fact be more difficult to overcome because of the interstate commerce clause and because the environment is not, uh, is not really spoken of as far as the, the Constitution is concerned. And again, we've got, a conservative, we've got an increasingly conservative judiciary, so we have to kind of think of, of all those things going forward. The Trump administration is also attacking, they've they filed um, a suit against California over the cap and trade 
agreement that California had made with Quebec. Um, and this is something that, again, what goes on in the West Coast could actually go on in the East Coast as well. It's, it's not difficult to conceive of um, the Atlantic Coast states and, and New England um, thinking about getting into some kind of a cap and trade system with um, Canada on their side of, 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 the, of the country. And, mm-hmm. um, and we, have no, I mean, we have no clear... We have no clear ways forward or anything else, and 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 there's no cooperation to actually discuss these things. I I just put out a column on the cafe standard, and basically what I'm telling people is, you know, this is a fight that's going to take years to to be settled. That's creating uncertainty in the auto market that never had to occur. I mean, people, everybody, but the the Trump administration was willing to make a reasonable compromise that would basically have kept in place the more strident um, emission rules that would have satisfied California, would have been very near the Obama um, targets, and given the, the, the auto industry the flexible, flexibility they were looking for. That's all they were looking for was flexibility. And so now you have uncertainty, and that's going to carry over into other things. I, I don't believe the, the Congress is going to do a tax extenders legislation, although there's, there's, there's support for it, but there's there's also obviously opposition, and then we have the, the all the confusion that's going on. But but in the in the auto case, for example, um, what's happening is that the the EV credits um, are due to run out, and and for some of the companies, they've already reached um, their maximum as far as units sold are concerned. So, um, but the auto companies are planning for a very um, heavily electric auto uh, market within the the next five or ten years, and now we've got a situation where the feds again are not even in in step with the industry, and this is this is this is a function of, of partisanship and and I'm sorry, a president who believes politics is more personal. It's about him mm-hmm. and not about either the industry or the country. Um, and so we're getting people frustrated enough that certain agreements are being made that that uh, that are just going to make federal action that much more difficult. Um, mm. I think the other thing that we're seeing that you've seen in Vermont is, you know, the, the economy has been burning on, you know, it's just, I mean, it's, it's burn, been burning on all cylinders and great for the economy, but mm-hmm. there, this is going to come to a close at some point. It, I, I'm not suggesting there's going to be a recession, but we're not going to be growing at three and a half percent, for example, um, every year. It's just, I mean, it just just can't be done, right. and so what's going to happen is that we talk about more aggressive environmental policies that are needed, and as you had suggested, it's going to buck up against economic problems. Well, we can't do that because because it adds money to um, the price of an automobile, or we can't mm-hmm. do it because it adds money to um, uh, the electric bill at the end of the you know the, the people pay each month, mm-hmm. um, and at some point. We have to accommodate for that because what's going to happen is that the Democrats are going to be taking a, a much more pro-economic stance with the, with uh, a, a sustainable economy is going to be a healthy economy. But the transition is going to be rough. So I think one of the other things that we're going to be seeing over the next few months, also on into the into the national um, elections in 2020, is is the is the environment paramount or is the economy paramount? Um, and then it's 
the environment is going to be competing with things that it's competed against in past years. Um, Medicare for all in this case, healthcare is going to be mm-hmm. a big issue. And one of the things that I worry about, um, I know you're going to ask me about what's on my, what's on my, <laughs> my plate. And uh-huh. this is one of the things that's on my plate is the fact that, um, that, that we're going to get into this situation again, where, where the, the cost of, of the transition is somehow going to outweigh uh, other considerations. And it becomes third on the list that people say, you know, right now, uh, climate change is high on the list of people, but it's in the one to, to it's either one, two or three on people's lists. Mm-hmm. As we go into an economic downturn and as medical costs keep going up, um, then healthcare is going to become a big issue again. And, and then the economy is going to become a big issue again. So if I worry that environment is going to get pushed down to third or fourth or fifth on the list of priorities. Mm-hmm. And what happens then is people don't vote the environment. Now, mm-hmm. we have some things that are changing this year. And, and the, I think the youth movement is certainly, you know, the elephant on the porch or, or the donkey on the porch. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> But that, I mean, that's gonna, that may make that may make a big difference. And so um, I want to be able to follow this through. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure. Again, I'm not sure how partisanship plays in this. That that uh, if you hear uh, Greta Thunberg, she talks about following what the scientists have to say. Mm-hmm. If you talk about some groups like the Sunrise Movement, they're talking about partisanship. They want people. They want, they want people to accept the progressive agenda. Now, all I'm saying is that, that I worry about a hardening of positions in this kind of a, in kind of a context. Now, um, an environment, especially if Trump, if, if Trump wins a re-election, then, then the only way to explain this is that we're screwed as far as climate change is concerned. Um, and even, again, you're, you're experiencing this in Vermont, even if the Democrats take the House and the Senate, if he's in the presidency, then nothing is going to happen except more warfare. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't mean that physically. Um, right. And so we're in a situation where not only this, the federal government, but the states are also in a position where do you have to have a complete sweep of the legislative and executive branches to actually get anything done in the environment? And I think that's that's something that, that people have to begin to think about. And we can't just look to have one side of the political equation, if you will, um, be in favor of environment and not the other. Um, I'm with you in some cases. I mean, I think that, that a third party would actually help things here just because it would force, um, hopefully it would force some kind of coalition government. Now, I don't know whether that's gonna happen or not, but I do know that the kind of conflicts that we're experiencing now um, are going to be carrying over into 2020, and that's ultimately going to determine the next decade, I think, of environmental policy. Mm. All right. Well, you briefly mentioned what's coming up, but you also have um, something immediately coming to your blog that people can watch for. Is that right? I don't want to let the cat out of the bag if you're not ready. Uh not quite ready yet. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, but we can tell people to keep an eye out because there are yes. interesting com- things coming to the blog. Absolutely. I mean, not, and not only they'll be written, but I, as, as 
Um, you know, I've done my uh, my maiden voyage as far as uh, as another podcast, um, mostly at your urging. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and so people should look at that as well. And I'll be doing some I'll be doing some updates on um, a number of legal cases, including uh, the New York uh, case against Exxon um, that's accusing Exxon of uh, actually defrauding its investors. Uh, it's another case that will be coming up in Massachusetts. Uh, and that that all happened over the last couple of weeks because the Supreme Court um, turned down uh, the oil company's uh, request to have the case dropped. Uh, so now it's back in the courts, and this could have really uh, some kind of profound implications um, over the next uh, year or two. So uh, we'll go into more detail on that next time. Okay, great. Well, I think that'll do it then for our update today. Thank you, Joel, for those insights. Oh, thank you, Jennifer, for asking me. I hope you're not sorry. I mean, thank you for giving insight on Vermont. And I think it's something that listeners should be should be looking at in their own states as well. And if Mm -hmm. they can kind of get back to us and let us know what's going on, I'm sure we would both appreciate it. Absolutely. The more the more we know, the better insights we can provide. So, yes, I agree with that. And thank you, of course, to our listeners for joining us. Uh, Tweet questions or comments to hashtag zero net 50 and have a great day.